So for those that are on the move, and for those that are just seeking, well, here's a show for you. Welcome to another episode of Matt Chat Live. Hi, I'm Scott Miller, and I am privileged to serve as the Executive Vice President for Thought Leadership of the Franklin Covey Company. Many of you know our firm from our founder, Stephen R. Covey, who, of course, authored the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. After 25 years in that firm as a sales leader and as the chief marketing officer, recently I branched out and wrote two books called Management Mess to Leadership Success that became a number one six-week um, on Amazon's list and co-authored Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, which became a number three bestseller on the Wall Street Journal. I am privileged to have a radio program on iHeartRadio. I host what is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller for the Franklin Covey Company. I'm a columnist for Inc. Magazine, and I'm writing many books in the future. I'm delighted to be on Matt's webcast, a podcast today. Looking forward to a great conversation on all things leadership, culture, and how to make sure we live and fulfill our missions. You can always find me on LinkedIn and join me at managementmess.com. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Matt Chat Live. I'm super, super excited to have an incredible man here today with us by the name of Scott Miller. And he has uh, been involved just a little bit in some writing stuff, a little bit in leadership. And I think we're going to talk about that today here on Matt Chat Live. So, Scott, thanks so much for being with us today. Matt Crump, I'm honored to be on your program. Thank you for the platform. Oh, man, I'm super stoked, super stoked. And, uh, you know, there's a LinkedIn obviously is where we where we originally uh, intersected, right. Right. and there are so so many people on LinkedIn that are there primarily for business. You would think in the first place, right? And uh, what a great opportunity for us to talk about leadership and and marketing and all those things are so important for for folks on LinkedIn. Um, I do a little bit of LinkedIn coaching myself, and it's amazing to me to see how many people don't really know what they can do or the power that they have by engaging with people on LinkedIn. Right. And uh, you're able to do some of those things, not to mention the things that you're able to do and, and help with people in the world as far as their businesses, their corporations. There's a lot of things you've, that you've written about that will help people that are coaches or even folks that are listening today that are, are job seekers, people that are out there looking for work, uh, not quite sure, especially in the time frame we're living in right now where people think, wow, it's a COVID world. I have no, no chance at getting anything anywhere. Absolutely not true, right? So tell, tell us a little bit, Scott, about uh, what got you involved in this. I, I don't know if that, like when you came out of the womb, you're like, I'm a marketing man. I want to write books and work for this industry. But how did you get to where you're at today, buddy? Yeah, that's really the case for most of us. You know, I'm actually from Florida originally. I live in Salt Lake City now with my wife and three sons that are six, eight, and 10. Uh, I originally was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. I worked for the Disney company for four years. The real estate arm of the Walt Disney Company. After four years, they very graciously invited me to leave, which basically means you're fired. Disney doesn't fire you. They invite you to leave and explore your own passion. So They're so nice, I, right? Yeah. They're so nice. And I'm still their friends. But I, I picked up and moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, which, as you know, is the opposite of Orlando, Florida, right? Four seasons, say. no humidity. So here I was, this single Catholic boy from Orlando moving out to uh, Provo, Utah, which is not exactly full of a lot of Catholics, if you know Utah very well, right? So <laughs> had an amazing journey for 25 years with the Franklin Covey Company, the world's most renowned leadership development firm. 
lived all over the world, Chicago and London, now back in Utah with my wife and three boys. And I've been privileged to really kind of um, find my voice. You know, Matt, I read a seminal book a year ago by David Epstein. He wrote a book called Range, R-A-N-G-E. And in this book, David Epstein basically debunks this idea of the 10,000-hour rule from Malcolm Gladwell about, you know, become an expert. He basically says there's two kinds of people, generalists and specialists. Yeah, and absolutely. a lot of specialists, you know, anesthesiologists, commercial airline pilots, plumbers, they tend to get into a career. They stick with it for their whole life, right? Not a lot of, not a lot of um, orthopedic surgeons become realtors, right? And then he said there's the rest of us that are generalists. And in our 20s and 30s, we're in sales, we're in marketing, we're in project management, we're in leadership, and we're kind of insecure about it. But we're building all these skills. And then in your 40s and 50s, they tend to congeal, and then you realize, oh, you know what? Being a generalist isn't so bad after all. And I think for me, I spent most of my early years being jealous, being um, paranoid that I wasn't a specialist. Like my brother, who was a chemical engineer, right? Black belt, master, um, Six, Six Sigma guy. And so for me, no, I did not come out of the womb thinking I would write or thinking I would um, speak. I'm a stutterer. I have a very pronounced stutter. Been in speech pathology my whole life. So now wow. that I host a radio program and a podcast and, and speaking around the world and have my own you know, platform, it's all kind of come to me later in life as I become more comfortable being a generalist. So let's just back up there a second. I did an interview yesterday with a young man who – who had a speech uh, problem as he grew up. He's now a, a motivational speaker, um, but he was bullied his entire childhood and really felt as if he would amount to nothing. And um, he had to go into a business, he went into a business class in college. And one of his first tasks in business class was he had to give a speech in front of everybody, yeah. uh, which he was petrified to do. After he gave the speech, it turns out that everybody in the class thought he was the best one there. Wow. It, it was a guy who went in there thinking he was a failure. This is the worst thing going to happen to me. How could this possibly happen to it changed everything for him. So thinking about those lines for a young man as yourself, when you grew up as with stuttering and speech impediments, things that I mean, you have no problem with that now. So, well, none that we can tell. Yeah. What, what kind of life was that for you growing up? Did you, did you think, I mean, what did you want to be? Did you think that you had limitations on your life because of your speech? Does there, were there things you thought you couldn't do and now you're doing? Or what did that look like for you? Well, I think I definitely had limitations, but beyond my speech impediment, which compared to some was not profound, right? I spent years in speech therapy, speech pathology, had braces twice. I, I had great limitations, but they were more psychological. I, I don't think it was just my speech impediment. I think like many people... I was trying to live the identity that others had for me, that I was not capable. I didn't know you could create your own identity, mm -hmm. create your own future, that there were no boundaries. The only boundaries were those that were placed upon you or you placed on yourself. So I ended up thinking that I needed to become a, lock, a doctor, a judge, or an Indian chief, right? Because no, no disrespect to Native Americans, because that's what my parents felt like success looked like. My father was an illustrator. Therefore, my father, my brother became an engineer and I was sort of the black sheep of the family because I wasn't sure what I was going to be, right? I was a waiter and then a restaurant manager and then I worked on a political campaign and then I became a realtor then I became a project manager and then I became a salesperson and then I became a sales leader and then I was a marketer <laughs> yeah. all over the place. And now look at me, right? I'm a best-selling author 
with hosting the world's largest weekly leadership podcast as an officer in a public company. You know what? Take that, mom and dad. So I had lots of restrictions on me that were artificial, but I lived under them for better part part of 27 years. Yeah, yeah. That has to be amazingly uh, difficult in many cases. Um, for some, more than others, obviously. Uh, so, you know, what was, what was the turning point? What was the click for you? What was the yeah. place where you said, um, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Yes. I'm delighted you asked that. Let me, let me, let me um, recalibrate something. I lived a very charmed life compared to some people, right? I mean, I understand white, white privilege. White privilege doesn't mean you haven't struggled in your life. I've struggled and I also have um, societally bestowed assets that others don't have. So um, I understand some of the privileges that I've had in life and I'm grateful for all of those. Let me tell you the turning point. I'm 52. It was about three years ago. I was preparing to interview Viola Davis, the famed actress, producer, director for the podcast. And I read a story about her around how she understood the power of owning your story, knowing your story. I'm a pretty practical guy. That sounded like kind of Reiki and yoga, good for somebody else, but not good for me. Like what is owning your story? mean? The very next day I'm preparing to interview a guy named Eric Barker. Eric Barker is a fairly famous social scientist. He wrote a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. <laughs> Extraordinary book that dispels, you know, myths. Early bird gets the worm, nice guys finish last. And he also shared this idea of knowing your story. But twice in two days, I come home to my wife, we crawl into bed that night, 10 o'clock at night and said, hey, hun, have you ever told yourself your story? She's like, what are you talking about? I said, have you ever actually told yourself your story in life? She's like, no, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I get out of bed at 10 at night. I'm in boxer shorts. I walk into the kitchen. I pull out a wire whisk as a microphone. And I walk around this room, pitch black, pair of boxer shorts, a wire whisk, and I tell myself my story out loud for the first time at the age of 48. Wow. Where I was born, who my parents were, who their parents were, the alcoholism, the suicides, the cancer, polio, what it was like being raised in the 70s, all the things that have been told about me that were true, all the things that have been told about me that weren't true, that I believed and took on. And I, that night, as I walked around this room right here, and I told myself my story out loud. All the things I'd done I wasn't proud of, the things I'd done I was proud of, the things I'd done that I should be proud of. I decided that night to kind of say, you know what, that stuff was true, but it's not anymore. And that stuff was never true. And I kind of just released myself from all of these artificial barriers. And the next day I went out and I landed a radio program on iHeartRadio. And I decided to go get a book contract. And I wrote this book that became a bestseller. And then I co-wrote this book that became a bestseller. And I got two more coming out next year. And I'm not any more talented than any others of your listeners or viewers. I just decided to tell myself my own story on my own terms and stop believing the haters and stop believing the limiters and just go out and kind of reinvent myself. Yeah, yeah. Now, I had, had, had had some successes, right? I, I'd become an officer at a public company. I'd done fairly well financially. I'd been able to marry well. I had three healthy sons. So it wasn't like I was, you know, down and out, but it was the 
this telling myself my story inspired by Viola Davis and Eric Barker that was the turning point in me going out and creating for myself an identity, not one that I thought others wanted me to live up to. It's a uh, long story, but it was a powerful evening. No, that's really good. I guess the, the most important question I could think of right now of all that was, what color were those boxer shorts? They were, they were, they were, pla- they were plaid. They were Ralph Lauren flannel <laughs> plaid boxer shorts. That's all I no, was wearing. No, it was impactful when you even remember the kind of I'm sorry for sharing that, but they were plaid flannel <laughs> Ralph Lauren boxer shorts. I love it. I love it. You know, you're going to have to write a book about plaid shorts. I should, you know I should frame those kind of like the Monica Lewinsky blue dress. Oh, oh, sorry, for the, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yeah. Famous clothes from people that turned their life around. And hey, friends, here's my boxer shorts right here. Yeah. And they're clean, unlike the blue dress. <laughs> That's sorry, great. sorry, Matt. Oh my gosh, this is a family show. Hang on a second here. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> All right, so you made this big twist and big turn relatively quickly. It's a, it's a, it, literally in your life that becomes an overnight success. I mean, you went from no, no, it's an overnight pivot that took about four years to turn into success. Well, my point is that you chose to be successful that night. And you made a tw- you made that pivot to be an overnight success. And it, it took a while if you do the rest of the stuff, obviously. Well said. But that's well said. that's way place that you got into your success in your life, right? So that's definitely a mindset issue, which <laughs> sometimes we just don't even know we have to have that mindset. It's I right. mean, good word. You right. took a uh, you took a whisk in your hand and took it took you took things into your own hands that night, really, and uh, came into what you're at now. So how long did it take from the moment that you made that that uh, moment with the whisk and the boxer shorts? To, uh, to releasing that first book? I wrote the book in about five months, and it came out about six months later. So within a year, the book came out. I started writing the book, I think, in July, and it came out the following June. So 11 months. That was the first book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. In fact, the book that Matt did, the book, or Matt, the book did so well that the publisher signed me to a nine-book deal in the mess to success series so in may marketing mess to brand success is coming out may 2021 and right now i'm writing job mess to career success followed by communication mess to influence success parenting mess to launch success and probably four others so I'm very much going to become the hopefully mess to success guy in the next five or six years i love it i love it that's fantastic so you had um, some influence in your life then at that point to be able to knock a book out in, in that period of time. Uh, you know, it doesn't come that easy for a lot of people to write a book yeah. that fast. Um, yeah. When I wrote my first book, I've been a writer and speaker and, and, and a presenter and a, an entertainer for years. Uh, but when it comes down to like saying, I'm going to put together a book and write this thing, I needed help. I needed somebody yeah. to help me out with that. Yeah, me um, too. Me did too. you have a, a mentor in your life at that point to help you with that first book? I did. Well, in all fairness, you know, the tagline of the book is 30 challenges to become the leader you would follow. And those 30 challenges were, in fact, drawn from Franklin Covey's intellectual property for four decades of client work that preceded me. What I did was I just shared vulnerable stories around how I had messed up when faced with most of these leadership challenges. But I also had someone that helped me kind of channel my thoughts. I would typically use a, a football metaphor. I don't play football. But I would take each chapter to like the two-yard line, and then he would either bring it back to the five-yard line, or he would just run it to the end zone. 
So my job was to get each chapter to the one or two or three yard line. And he would spend an hour or two helping to kind of just tweak it. Come to find out, I'm actually a fairly decent writer. I tend to write how I speak. So I write it fairly casually, colloquially. The book is fairly raw and real. So I didn't want it to be another academic leadership book. I wanted it to be very relatable, a leader who you'd had a lot of, you know, a lot of messes and some successes. But yeah, I think I'm also a visual writer. So when I write, I post it note. I sort of mind map up on the wall, like literally up on the wall. And then I write it out, I print it off, and I put it in pockets. So I I, I write digitally, of course. But I think I and I think illustrate visually on my wall so I can kind of see it coming together. Now, that's a great illustration. There's a, a lot of people out there that have incredible information and knowledge in their lives. And uh, a lot of folks that I coach and talk to think that they don't have the ability to create content or, or they don't have anything that they can share. But um, yeah. there are so many valuable things that people have. I'd say every person has something of value. Yeah. It just comes down to understanding how to say that. And of course, you know, that whole thing about story with brand story that just became real popular in the yeah. past. Donald Miller. Five yeah. or six years so with Donald Miller. Yeah, and he's got a great coaching program. That's yeah. uh, not, not a low tier program, by the way, folks. It's but not. It's a, I know him well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, he's got to fund that whole Goose Hill, right? He's got a big <laughs> complex now down in Nashville. He's got to fund. <laughs> yeah, when you got a complex, it costs a couple of bucks, right? So. But it's a fantastic, fantastic program. It helped me a lot so when I was transitioning into some things with speaking and, and understanding story. Actually, when I, was, I was a pastor in the church, and we implemented story branding into our ministry and how we worked really ministry wow. at church through, uh, because it's all about telling a story. It's about relaying a story properly. And, yeah. and uh, when you can take something that's so, uh, I mean, let's take something like the book of uh, Numbers in the Bible, right? If anybody's ever read the Bible and looked at numbers, it gives you a freaking headache. It's just like so and so begat so and so begat yeah. I mean these crazy big long names. It's like, how is that anything like inspirational? And there's ways you can do things that turn that around. And it's all really how you how you can tell the story and how it relates to you to be able to relate it to the other people. So all right, yeah. so that's a little bit about uh, some of the things behind you there. So let's say far as um, uh, uh, business and marketing is concerned, there's a lot of folks out there that are in, in difficult times. There's people out there that are or have had brick and mortar stores and, and just couldn't make it right now. And um, it, it's devastating. It's a, it's a horrific loss, a place of grief. I've lost a business before. And um, it's like losing a child. Uh, it sounds weird to say that. Some people are like, what are you talking about? It's lose one and find out when you put your heart and soul into it. Um, it's very difficult to get through. Um, but I would say that most people that, that have their own businesses are entrepreneurial in some form or fashion. I would hope that they're really entrepreneurial, but they, they should be, which means they're, they're going to have to reinvent themselves at some time. You're just going to have your own business yeah. and then say, I'm going to yeah. go take out the trash now. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. So yeah. in, in light of these kind of situations we're facing, and obviously not everybody's in such a bad negative way, there's people that are doing fantastic right now during, during this horrible time called Corona, right? But um, what, what are some things you would suggest for folks that might be facing uh, either a difficult time right now in their business, or they are in a grieving state and they've lost it and they're trying to move forward? Whether it was their I own problem, their own mess, or it was yes, some yes. outside external uh, situations. Matt, I think you are right. I think we cannot over communicate the level of devastation, that's devastation being wrecked on society 
um, and our businesses and our livelihoods. I, I have been fairly insulated by it, but not completely. Our business at Franklin Covey was obviously severely, you know, curtailed. Here's what I'd offer. I had the honor of interviewing a woman named Karen Dillon. Karen Dillon is the former editor of the Harvard Business Review, right? The hoity-toity business magazine. And she co-wrote a book with a man named Clayton Christensen, considered to be one of the greatest innovation minds of our generation. He wrote the book, you know, Innovator's Dilemma, Innovator's Solution. He was the guy that kind of coined that whole idea of the job to be done, right? No one hires a six-inch drill. You really want a six-inch hole, right? What's the job to be done, so to speak? And they co-wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? It's an exceptional book. How Will You Measure Your Life? And in this book, they took business principles and applied them to our personal lives. How will you measure your life? And in the book, they shared a fascinating research study that said something like this, that 93% of all organizations that went on to earn, quote, financial success as measured by their own terms, that 93% of organizations that did that did so with what was called an emergent strategy, not a deliberate strategy, meaning the original idea that they founded, that they launched the business with, was not the idea that helped them achieve financial success. 93% of the times, it was a different idea. It was a disruption. It was a pivot. It was somebody else's idea in the firm, perhaps more junior than them, that these leaders were able to summon the humility. They could check their ego. They could pivot. They could disrupt. They were intellectually agile enough. 93% of the time, it was an emergent strategy. So my first piece of counsel would be, are you at that crossroads where perhaps the idea that got you here that was succeeding that isn't anymore through no fault of your own because of this pandemic, is it time for you to let go of that idea and pivot to something else. Maybe it's a twist on that idea. Maybe it's a fundamentally different idea. Maybe you look back and say, what part of that was successful that perhaps I didn't like, but clients did, or that seemed to be going well, but I wasn't passionate at the point, right? Is, is there something in your history of the business that you could revisit to say, you know what? That was actually going really well, but I didn't focus on it long enough, or I didn't build it, but now it could go well. Is there an emergent strategy that could allow you to salvage some part of your business that you could, if you pivoted on, you could capitalize on? That's the first idea. Second idea to your point. Um, there are seasons in our life, right? The law of the harvest, Dr. Covey used to call it. The law of the harvest was there are times to plant and there are times to harvest. Ask any potato farmer, right? Every two or three years, they will plant a money-losing crop like alfalfa or something because the soil needs the replenishment of the um, nutrients so that next year they can grow bigger and better, more expensive potatoes. I love this idea of the law of the harvest. It's a great metaphor for our own careers and our own businesses. This may be the year that you need to plant alfalfa if in fact you are a potato farmer. Is there something you need to do to plant, to nurture, to water, to weed, to fertilize, plant again, water again? You don't, you don't harvest the seed the same day you plant it. So you might be thinking in the terms of the law of the harvest, maybe I've been harvesting for the last couple of years and foist upon me is a famine or you know a, 
drought and I need to re-look at what I'm planting. Maybe I'm not a potato farmer this year. Maybe I am an alfalfa farmer because that the alfalfa, it doesn't apparently earn a lot of money. Maybe it does, but the point was that it was a money losing crop for potato farmers that replenished the soil. So I would ask your listeners and viewers to think about that metaphor, both in your career and in your businesses. Could this be, could there be a silver lining? Sometimes a disappointment turns into an appointment. And is this now an appointment for you to look at or do something different? I don't mean to be trite. I don't mean to be glib. I don't mean to minimize the carnage that is happening. But if in a moment of peace and tranquility and introspection, can you think about the disruptive idea of emergent versus deliberate strategies? And perhaps it's time to plant and not harvest. Is right, this I disappointment? Agree. I agree there, but let's, let's say that, um, let's say you live in a, a little suburban town and um, you are 63 years old. Yeah. And you have owned a local bookstore for the past 40 years. And uh, this year, you have gone from what you're used to to about yeah. a 95% loss in business. Yes. All right. So that's one idea. Or, or an office supply store or yeah. a music yeah. instrument store. Yeah. All right. I have my ideas, but I'm, I'm curious then. So at that, in that thought process, that analogy – what could be a practical application for that yes. kind of a, of a yeah. shift, that kind of a, because yeah. it's, it's not easy to think outside of the box when you've had your it's business not. for 40 years. It's not. I'd offer several immediate pieces of advice. One is you got to check your ego. You got to demonstrate an unprecedented level of humility because humility is born out of confidence. Confident people can be humble people. Arrogant people are incapable of humility. So if you're the bookstore owner, you may not have the solution. Send an email out to all your best customers and say, I'm dying. I'm on the edge. Do you have any ideas of things that I could do to pivot? Perhaps it's home delivery. Perhaps it's hosting a book club. Perhaps it's changing the genre. Perhaps it's interviewing authors. Does anybody know any authors you could hook me up with where I could host a book club? If you like my book, it's, it's demonstrating humility to say, you don't have to have all the answers. Not every entrepreneur is an expert at supply chain, at EBITDA at P&L operations, at running you know, the, the uh, human resource side or inventory, right? You've got certain passions. Don't try to be all things to all people. Reach out to your customers and say, I'm dying. Do you all have any ideas on how I can pivot this business? To the office supply group, same thing. Call up your customers. Call up your friends and your family and your neighbors and say, I'm dying. Do you all have any ideas for me? I mean, right now, everybody's still working. Let me rephrase that. A significant number are still working from home. Right. And everybody needs a desk and a filing cabinet and a printer. And they may or may not be able to move their stuff home from a 44-story sky rise. So people still need supplies. They need, you know, computers and lighting, all kinds of stuff. You know, maybe you pivot your business to support the home podcaster with microphones and, 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 and video cameras and lights and, and things like that, right? You may have to move outside of your comfort zone. You may have to really look at what got you here won't get you there, but you can't do it alone. And don't try to be all things to all people. You know, Seth Godin, the famous marketing mind, who's a dear friend of mine, he wrote a book recently called This Is Marketing. Phenomenal book. 
And he talked about, in one of the chapters, knowing your smallest viable market, not your largest viable market. As an office supply owner who's on the edge of imploding, you can't boil the ocean. You may have to look at your smallest viable market. Who is the next person you're going to sell something to? The next person. And who is the one person after that? And then the person after that, the third person. Who is your smallest viable market? Maybe you are reinventing what you sell. Is your job now is you know consulting people on how to set up a home office. Maybe it's consulting on how to run a book club. Maybe you own, open up a Zoom room and you invite the authors to host a Zoom room and you sell 20 books to 20 people that come to your book club. You're going to have to be much more agile in your thinking and show unprecedented humility. Don't be afraid to go out and ask. People cannot help you if they don't know you need help. Yeah, that's, that's what I'd so, offer. So no, that's very good. Oh, absolutely. And then that's the hardest part to do for some folks. And then there's some others that just say, please, I've had some folks that have, have come to me saying, I'm uh, whatever you say, Matt, you know, and that's, and there's certain people that I would think I would never expect that you would have said that to me. But, uh, you know, there's times that we're going through right now that require people to do some of those things. So it's definitely losing the ego, losing the humility. Um, you know, there's there's an air of that stuff that's required for certain things, especially if you're an entrepreneur, uh, because it takes grit and determination and focus and all kinds of things. It's, you can't be swayed too much for, from things. However, uh, when stuff isn't going your way, <laughs> you need to find out which way you should be going. Well, that that but that's the difference, right? That that's who's going to survive and thrive. Who's going to survive and thrive are those of us that can check our egos and admit that we're on the edge, admit that this isn't working and I need help. I think the American spirit is so abundant. Your customers, they want you to succeed. You, you might be shocked at how many people come out of the woodwork thinking of new ideas and helping you re-innovate. And the opposite may be true. For some of us, it may be time to say, you know what? Maybe there's something I don't see in this. Maybe, maybe the end of my office supply store is here. And maybe I don't need this big house or this big farm or three cars or all this stuff. Maybe the next phase of my life is to reprioritize my values. And maybe my job, my, my life is to go out and actually work for somebody else for a while and learn a new skill set. That's humbling. But oh, it goes yeah. back to my point of those who will thrive will be those who are the most humble, the most vulnerable, and the most transparent. Yeah, no, absolutely. When I was faced with uh, having to close my store down, uh, I was battling cancer and I had to, to make some choices about things I was doing in my life. I didn't want to close the store, but at the same time, there's just no way I was going to be able to handle that with the economy and everything as well. And I made the choice to shut it down and uh, on, on my terms. And then within two months of the store shutting down, I ended up having a bleeding brain tumor. I had to be in the, met back to the hospital and I was, I was out for, from everything for three months. I was laid up. There's no way I could have run my business like that. And then it, for me, was a pivot time in my life where things started to change and my direction changed. And, and I, I really, you know, launched out into really where I'm at now. And I, I couldn't do what I'm doing now if I still own the music store. But at I the see. moment, I didn't want to let go of it for anything. And now I'm thinking, thank God I let go of that thing back then because I'd much rather be where I'm at today. And that could easily be anybody that's listening here today. I understand completely what it feels like to think that you you can't let go of this thing you worked so so hard for it so it's, it may not necessarily be pride it's this it's this feeling of I've worked so hard sure, to put my sure. life into this and I feel like 
I, I don't want to give up on this, that I, I want to give it to my kids one day. And I, I promise this to them. I, I, I get that. Right. But but what if what if on the on the other side of of yes is something amazing? Like when we say yes to one thing, we say no to something else. When we say no to something, you say yes to something. There's no other way around it. So there's great opportunities and it's it's fantastic for you to bring that up today, Scott. So let me ask you one more time that we could go on forever with this. And I know we got a, we got a short amount of time today. Uh, let's let's talk real quick more time about your books and let folks know where they can find those and uh, and how to get a hold of you. Well, you can find my books in that small town independent bookstore. So spend a little less money on Amazon this week and try to spread your spread your resources around to those people that have poured their hearts and souls into serving their own communities. Jeff Bezos is great. He's got plenty of billions. Let's all spread our money around to those hardworking people that are desperate to keep food at the table for their families. I'm a strong advocate of small businesses. Um, thanks for the platform. The first book I wrote is called Management Mess to Leadership Success. From a supposed expert in a leadership company, I decided to confess a lot of my own messes, things that I'd screwed up, things that I'd said wrong, done wrong, so that other yeah, leaders need to avoid those. It's a thin book. It's funny, it's raw, it's relatable. It basically says, if you're gonna be a leader, here are 30 challenges you're gonna face and, and learn from my messes. The other book is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. This actually, this book was, was co-written with two of my colleagues. And this really says, you know what, from Franklin Covey's 40 years of expertise in the leadership management business. If you just do these six critical practices, you're going to fundamentally lead your team better. Things like effective one-on-ones and managing through change and developing a leader's mindset, how to develop a culture of feedback. And so I'm proud of both these books. You can buy them at any bookstores. You can find me on LinkedIn and at franklincovey.com. I'd love to have you subscribe to my podcast. It's called On Leadership with Scott Miller. And Platt, I'm just, or, uh, uh, Matt, I'm just honored to be on your platform today, it's honored to be in your realm. You're contagiously positive. You're crazy abundant. You, you have survived challenges that I will likely, hopefully never know the likes of. I'm just honored to be associated with you, truly. I'm honored to be on your show. Today. I appreciate that so much, Scott. And, and uh, I know that a lot of folks are just gonna have a blast today listening to this, uh, this opportunity to learn some things and to you know, dig into those books. I mean, hey, if you got time, you might as well read, folks, because there's some great right. opportunity to learn some stuff. And, uh, and these are some great books. So, so thanks again so much, Scott, for being here today. We've had some fun trying to finally get to this moment to be together today. And uh, it was worth it so much. So thank you again so much for being here on Matt Chat Live. We appreciate you here. And folks, again, we're here on LinkedIn, but uh, you might be watching this on Facebook or YouTube, or you might be listening on a podcast somewhere. Thanks so much for wherever you're at today. We both appreciate you greatly. And uh, don't forget it again to go visit Scott at his website and go to the local bookstore and say, hey, look, I want to buy this book by Scott, the Scott Miller guy. Where's that book at? Then uh, I'm sure they'll help you out. So thanks again, Scott. Appreciate you being here today on Matt Chat Live. My pleasure. 